A reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give, every, give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ, yes, who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angel, angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. So this week, we saw the end of the impeachment trial. Now everybody's on the edge of their seats because they're like, oh God, the preacher's about to get political up in here. I'm not. I just, uh, it, it had me thinking the whole trial process. Um, you know, we don't get to see a whole lot of trials on TV unless you're a big fan of Judge Judy or something like that. But the whole process of a trial, it's a very fascinating uh, concept because the entire purpose is trying to convince a party of our peers that a person is either innocent or guilty. And we have people on both sides trying to pressure the jury one way or another, trying to figure out which is right. Are they innocent or are they guilty? And so, as both the plaintiff and defendant present their stories accompanied by evidence and occasionally witnesses, the entire process is trying to get us to that point in which we might be convinced. Convinced one way or another. But here's the thing that the courtroom often forgets. To be convinced, and that word right there is important, to be convinced is more of an emotional experience than an intellectual one. In other words, have you ever had a debate with somebody on a hot button issue? Maybe. Perhaps you're like me and you just avoid conflict at all costs and somebody brings up a hot button issue and you just say, yeah, you're right, that's perfectly fine. But if you have ever been in a debate with somebody on a hot-button issue, then you might have recognized that typically it just ends up with one or both people getting really angry at each other, and no one's views changing, but perhaps their views of the other person. That's because no matter how many facts a person presents to us, the art of convincing is rooted at our very core. It's grounded in what it means to be you. To be convinced requires much more than just facts and, and intellectual knowledge. It requires an understanding of why we believe what we believe. Has anybody ever seen the movie 12 Angry Men? And I mean the 1957 version, not the 1997 version. May it possibly, yeah, maybe this will refresh your memory. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful cinematic artwork piece about uh, a courtroom case. A young man about the age of 18 is accused of murdering his father, 
And the entire movie comes to the point where the plaintiff, uh, the, the prosecution and the, um, the defense have rested, and it's up to the jury now to either convict or acquit the uh, defendant, this 18-year-old boy. And so they move into the jury room, believing, and if you watch the movie, each one of the jurors takes a look back at the defendant as they walk on their way to the juror, into the jury room, and they get in there believing that this is going to be a quick conviction. There is no doubt in any of their minds that this boy is obviously guilty. We've seen the evidence. And so, as with any criminal trial of this magnitude, it has to be a unanimous decision by the jury, and they start going around the room, guilty, 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 guilty. And then they get to juror number eight. And he says, I don't know. He's not prepared to convict this 18-year-old boy just based off of the facts because there's something within him that's just stirring and says, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. And so the rest of the movie goes on, this process of the rest of the jurors trying to convince him and him trying to make a case for the defendant. And what ends up coming out is that we end up seeing more of the defendant's story, but mostly we end up seeing more of each of the jurors' prejudices and preconceptions about the trial, the accused individual, and each other. This is because each of them were already convinced before they even gathered, because being convinced happens at our core doesn't matter the facts, they could have just taken a look and have decided within their hearts before they even gathered. Except this one who proceeds to guide them, each of the other jurors, and figuring out why they believe what they believe. Juror number eight even says, I'm not saying that he's not guilty, I'm just not convinced. I'm not sure why I would believe that. And so he takes on this process of trying to get each and every one of the others to understand why they believe that they should convict him. Being convinced happens at our core. Now, I want to change things a little bit here, okay? Take a little bit of a different direction. I'm gonna ask a question. Is God in this place? Yes, yeah, it's, it's okay to answer. I, I, I appreciate the feedback. I see some head nods. Verbal affirmations or yes, I hear a couple more. Yes, yes? all right, I mean, some more, some more affirmation. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. So we, we have this notion, God is in this place. My next question, how do you know? You see, one of the great challenges of our faith is that we are called to believe in and live for things unseen. So how do we keep up with knowing that the one whom we believe in and live for also believes in and is for us? Many of us have not seen God. If you have, I would love to hear your story. I'm very interested. Many of us might not have heard God audibly speak in their lives. If you had, I would love to hear your story. Most people I know have never tasted, like tongue-tasted God, or have smelled God. I would love to know what God smells like, by the way. I feel like a jug of gain is probably the closest we've come to it. And so... You know, we've gone through these four. Most people, anyways, haven't experienced this. And so, how then can we be assured? What's left? Anybody know their five senses? 
I see some hands moving, so I guess you get it. Feeling, yeah, we have feeling left. That, that sense of feeling. We rely on our feelings to know that God is present. But then, one more question. What happens when we don't feel God? I don't know about you all, but for me personally, I've actually felt the presence of God a handful of times in my life. But there have been far more times in my life when I have felt an absence of God around me. So my question, I guess, then is, is there any point in our lives in which God is not present? I heard a no back there. I appreciate, I appreciate the verbal responses. You know, they give me a clue to, to know if you're, like, actually, you know, here with me or if you're just sitting here because this is your Sunday routine. So, you know, you're helping me out. Yeah, I want us to practice something this morning, okay? Well, this is going to be one of the interactive sermons. You know I like to get interactive. You know, I like to get people moving and, and talking and whatnot. So anytime through the rest of this message, if you hear me say the phrase, is God present? If you hear me say that, I want you all to respond with these three words. I am convinced. What were those three words? I am convinced. Perfect. So let's try that now. Is God present? I am convinced. Perfect. Thank you very much. Now, I would also appreciate a little more gusto in that, you know, for, for my own ego's sake. Remember that being convinced happens at our core, the same place where our beliefs stem from. So I'm not going to try to convince anybody this morning. I'm not going to try to convince anybody that God is present with facts. I want all of us to convince ourselves with faith. And so I want us to consider a few scenarios that we might have already faced in our life, are facing right now, or might one day face. There are times in our life when things don't seem to be going our way, when it seems like all that can go wrong is going wrong, when we just want to break down and cry, because for whatever reason we're late to a meeting and we've hit every single doggone red light on Airport Boulevard or whatever that horrible day might look like for you. In those days, when things just don't seem to be going right, when everything seems to be against us, is God present? I am convinced. All right, yes. Yes, Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have troubles. It's, it's, it's not a question. It's a matter of fact. Being human means that there will be troubles in this world. But, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. God is indeed present, even when things don't seem to be going our way. There are also times when we experience loss in our lives, unimaginable loss, the loss of a friendship, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a loved one. Loss is a reality of what it means to be human. We can't avoid it. But even in loss, even in the worst of losses, is God present? I am yes, absolutely. Revelation 21 declares, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. God is indeed present even in the midst of loss. There are times in our life when we turn our backs on God, 
when we choose our own desires over God. We call this sin. This is what we refer to as that word sin. When we follow our own selfish desires rather than walking in the love that is eternal. When we walk through the valley of our own darkness rather than on the mountain of God's light. Whenever we choose us over, our, over others, or whenever we choose us over God, in our sin is God present. I'm convinced. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Psalm 23 promises us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is indeed present even when we turn away. Now, there are also times in our life when people seem to be attacking us, when we feel persecuted for our beliefs or the way that we live our lives. Whenever our convictions are driving us one way, but the rest of the world is telling us that's a foolish way to go. Times when it can even feel that the whole world has turned against us. You know, it's, it's election season. It seems like our political beliefs are doing that at every turn. So even in those times of persecution, is God present? I Amen. Yes, Romans 8 reminds us, if God is for us, who then can be against us? Who can be against us? God is indeed present even in times of persecution. Now, there are also times in our life when we feel so isolated, so lonely. When loneliness sets in and we feel we have no one to turn to, times in our life when it seems like no one else even wants to be on this journey with us. In our loneliness, when we feel we have no one else, is God present? Amen. Amen. Yes, we are promised in Deuteronomy 31. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It is not a new thing to feel distant from God. And perhaps you are not in that kind of season. Perhaps in this season you feel very close to God. Or perhaps you are in a season of feeling like God is far off. Whether it be because of some actions that we have taken or just because of circumstances of life, it is not a new thing to feel distant from God or to not even feel God at all. Even Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even when we don't feel God, is God present? I am convinced. Amen. Are we convinced, though? That's my question. Are we convinced? Because if it's something we just know to be true because the Bible tells me so or because I learned it in Sunday school class or because I'm just saying it because the preacher's being weirdly interactive today and I have to say something, otherwise he's going to call me out after the service... If that's the case, then I might say we're in for a hard road ahead of us. Being convinced happens at our core. It's more than just facts. It's faith. Turning back to the movie 12 Angry Men, each of the jurors end up being convinced of something completely different once they came to understand why they believed what they believed. Once they were able to address why why they were convinced of such a thing. Sometimes we also need to check ourselves and understand why we might have been convinced of something we believe. Whether it's in a time of deep, deep darkness and we, we are convinced that God is nowhere to be seen, why? 
we ask ourselves. One thing that this movie teaches us that, that we might not at first get is that no one person can change another person's mind. Perhaps you've heard this before. No one, no one person can change another person's mind. Only they can change it themselves. All we can do is get them to think about why they believe what they believe. And we see that as each and every one of the jurors and 12 angry men start to change their mind whenever they start to realize, oh, wait, I'm starting to see something different now. You see, there are times in our lives when things are not easy or comfortable or happy or nice or in any way enjoyable. It's just a reality of human existence, my friends. I'm sure you have met this before in your life, that life is hard. It really is. And those can be the times that shake us to our very core. The times that seem like our world is crumbling in upon us. However, if at our very core we are convinced that God is with us even when we don't feel God, then we can pass through the harshest and hardest of circumstances convinced that it is God who carries us through it. Convinced. Now, usually I like to end a message with a challenging question to get us to think throughout the week, to get us to try to do something different. But today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I want us to do something together, okay? I want, if you would, I would like for everybody to take out the, their Bibles. Uh, there should be pew Bibles in front of you. If there's not one in front of you, this is a great opportunity to get uncomfortably close to your neighbors and, you know, get all up in their faces and share. Take out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 158. In the New Testament part. Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 38 and 39. Just those two verses. And just to give you a heads up, what we're going to do is we're all going to read together these two verses. But here's what I'm going to need from you all, okay? Because we're a little bit fewer in number. You know, it's, it's the season of sickness and the season of Mardi Gras. I don't know if those two things typically go hand in hand. <laughs> but it is that season, so, you know, I'm going to need your voices to make up for those of us who are not able to be here this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 we're going to read this together, and if you are indeed convinced, then I encourage you to read with gusto. Let's dive in here. Reading together, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us pray together. 